Good morning. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And that's 1 Corinthians 11.26. Now, normally this is where I say I'm excited this morning because, and I don't want to disappoint you, I'm excited this morning because of the big things I get to do as pastor, there was a wedding yesterday. We're doing communion this morning. If we had a baptism tomorrow, that would just round it out beautifully, but no one's on deck for that yet, so talk to me. Um, it's just been a really good weekend. Um, I'm equally torn between being overjoyed at exactly how happy Gabe is to be married to his new wife and really kind of down at the fact that he's no longer eight years old. So, which means that I also have aged. So, now granted, he was probably only slightly tall when he was eight years old, though. So, um, But that was a really great experience yesterday, being able to celebrate with Gabe, and I always mispronounce her name, unfortunately, Daylin, correct? Dalin. I said it right during the wedding. Yes. I had convinced myself I didn't. So, hey, God comes through when I am weak. That is just another of a million examples of that. Today we get the opportunity to share communion with one another, and I would ask, that you make sure that you prepared your heart to take communion and that you don't take it flippantly. And ultimately, at no point have I ever, nor do I plan to slap the elements out of anybody's hand, but I want you to personally be reflecting and making yourself ready to take communion. Although you should never say never. I don't know that I've ever slapped anything out of anybody's hand in this building nor do I plan to. Please don't make me. <laughs> but it won't be this morning. I'd like to look a little bit. Again, we are uh, following the, uh, Mennonite, or the confession of faith in a Mennonite perspective. Um, I jumped ahead a couple articles, and I'll be going back. So last week we were on salvation, which I believe is Article 8, and I've jumped all the way up to the Lord's Supper, which is... Later, I think it's Article 10, so we'll be jumping back, or maybe it's Article 11 or 12. Um, but I'm really just excited about communion. I don't know. There's a, there's a possibility in doing communion too often that you forget how significant it is. But if you don't do it often enough, I feel like we're missing out. So, and I don't know. For some people, if we did it twice a day, they would be here and it would be meaningful each and every time. For others, if we did it every week, they would become complacent with it. So, again, finding that balance, finding that balance. Although, I'll, I'll come back to the one viewpoint held there because I like it. All right. I am in Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse 31. I enjoy Jeremiah more all the time, and I'm realizing why they called him the weeping prophet. If you didn't know, they called Jeremiah the weeping prophet. But 
It's just a little less sunny than some. <laughs> Not that the prophets are very sunny. <laughs> Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out of the out of the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. He took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. Sorry. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. And for those of us reading on this side of the cross, we can see that this is telling us about what Jesus is going to do. He is going to bring this new covenant. This new covenant where every man shall know God from the least to the greatest. If we are under that covenant, if we've turned towards Jesus, we have that opportunity to know God. From the very least, the little children, to the greatest. And I'm curious, I would like to know, how many of you made a decision to follow Jesus when you were children? Young children. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's an amazing testimony in itself. Have any of you never had a crisis of faith? and always felt secure in your relationship with Christ, I would love to see those hands as well. Thank you. Awesome. That's an incredible testimony on its own, and we need people to be that voice as well. So when people are playing top that testimony at the campfire, you know, although you're probably too old for the youth retreats, but if you ever find yourself at a singles retreat or something and people are doing that testimony thing, where the first guy starts and he's like, I used to do drugs. And the next guy's got to say, well, I sold drugs. And then the third guy's like, I killed a man. It kind of turns into top that testimony where we don't feel like our sins were grave enough to bring up to other people. And I think one of the greatest testimonies I ever heard was an old woman who told people that she loved Jesus from the age of four years old. And she walked with him all the days of her life. You know how incredible of a testimony that is? You just want to hug her. You want it to rub off on you. So please don't feel like you have to have an adequate amount of sin in order to tell people about Jesus. For those of us who have more than an adequate amount of sin, we get to demonstrate the sufficiency of grace. You get to demonstrate the steadfastness of Jesus. I mean, we demonstrate that too, but at the same time, ah, shall I see, keep sinning so that his grace may increase? Perish the thought. Anyway, um, 
If you read enough scripture, it starts falling out of your mouth, which is a blessing. I'm going to go ahead and turn to Luke uh, 22, which is where Jesus institutes the Last Supper with his disciples. Now, these are the people that are following Jesus. Uh, so I'm going to be on uh, verse 14. Okay. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goes, as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. I love two huge things that you find in the Gospels of the Last Supper. Now, minor theological differences aside, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I feel that our God is sovereign. So in case you were wondering, I don't think God is surprised ever. But I believe Jesus, already knowing he was betrayed, washed the feet of his betrayer and then ate with him and then included him in this moment. Sometimes I get mad at people for saying mean things or things that were worded incorrectly that are a little too true and I don't want to hear it. If you are a Christian, a little Christ, someone who emulates their life after Christ, knowing he was going to be betrayed unto death by having his arms ripped out and hung there until he suffocated, wash the man's feet. The other people in the room didn't even know who the guy was, so it wasn't like he rushed, you know, washed his feet angrily. He washed his feet like everybody else. He took communion with him, like everybody else. It just makes me wonder if... Was that out of the desire to do the will of his father? And do I have any fragment of that? Or any small portion of wanting to do the will of my father 
to the point where I'm going to overlook the terrible things that could happen to me. I was having a conversation yesterday about mission trips. Um, and if none of you know my friend Ben Barney, then, I mean, please, if you see a guy saying Jesus and I love you to someone randomly in public, that's Ben. Talk to him. Ben's great. Um, but we were talking about mission trips and how easy it is to get people to volunteer in communities that aren't their own. And then come back and say, well, why don't we do anything like that around here? And I think at the heart of it is because we know the people. We know the choice they made of why they don't have the money. We know the job they quit when they shouldn't have. We know the horrible thing they did to so-and-so back in the 80s. We know their testimony. And we make excuses for why we can't bless them. And then I was thinking about, there's probably not a single person in Hindman, Kentucky that we've helped at SWAP that doesn't have a similar story with their neighbors. Maybe there's a couple. I don't know. Or any of the other locations or Harlan, Kentucky, you think there's, but that doesn't interest us. We don't need to know because it's outside of our community and we're just going and doing the work of God and it's amazing and we should do it again. As soon as people say, hey, I want to go, uh, we should do that again. And we should be helping these people. But why are we ignoring the ones in our community? And I really think it's because we know them. But that didn't stop Jesus from washing the feet of Judas. And I guarantee you, whether or not someone pays their power bill or goes and buys a carton of cigarettes, is a little less severe than betraying the Son of God. And I wonder at what point my love for my neighbor is going to outweigh my reluctance to see someone be a bad steward. Does my calling change based on the person being helped? I'm not saying we should go enable everyone. I have friends with an addiction. You would never go hand them a wad of cash. But we seem reluctant to help. Less at this church than most. I'll go ahead and say that. Less at this church than most. We do great works. If you ask anybody about Mennonites, they'll say they do good works. To the point where in the Christian community, it's kind of our thing. But again, talking about morality, if God's bars up here and the rest of the world's bars right here and the rest of the church's bars right here, we shouldn't celebrate being right here. I've been taught that you shouldn't take communion if you're harboring bitterness in your heart towards another. And this is not the rabbit I was going to chase this morning, but it presented itself and I caught the scent and here we are. But if Jesus can wash the feet of Judas, and maybe Judas is a bad example. 
if later in the Gospels Peter is willing to restore, or Peter is restored by Jesus and forgiven for betraying him, not betraying him in the same way Judas did, but denying he even knew him. It wasn't enough to say, I don't follow him. He denied he even knew who he was. And Jesus restores him. What business do we have harboring bitterness in our hearts? If we call ourselves Christians. Now, granted, we are also human beings. So there's some of this that is going to be reflexive. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying, if you haven't forgiven someone, now would be a really good time to do it. There is no better time to forgive somebody else than this moment right now. Because you're acutely aware of what it is. Forgiving someone doesn't mean saying it was okay. Because odds are, if you're bitter about it, it wasn't okay. It was not okay. But I almost guarantee you that you are okay. Right? In the aftermath of whatever it was, you're okay. God is bigger than our problems. God is bigger than our insecurities. And now I'm going to go back and try to refocus my brain a little bit here. Jesus took common elements common elements. It doesn't get much more common at a Jewish table than bread and wine. This would have been on every table most of the time, I would assume. And certainly at Passover. Because another interesting thing is they're celebrating a Passover feast and it mentions the elements, but it does not mention the lamb in any other way than talking about Jesus. And I don't know if that's some form of remiss where they're talking about the thing that everything else, but they're not saying the obvious thing. Or if there wasn't lamb present, they were just enjoying some, you know, some good flat bread. And... But as often as you do this, remember me. And I believe it's my father that used to say that... Communion, you know, he wasn't downplaying communion, but as often as you eat or drink, you should be thinking of what Jesus did for you. So it shouldn't just be reserved for the four times a year or five times a year that you take communion at church, that you're contemplating what Jesus did. This is just a moment when we take the time together. We take the time together to do this as, as a more ceremonial way of doing it. Again, I'm not downplaying communion. I would never downplay communion. Jesus says something very important 
about the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. It's easy to think of the shed blood of Jesus in an abstract way, where Jesus died for sins. And it's easy to say, Jesus loves me as long as I'm singing it and I'm not personalizing it. But if you would all do this for a moment, I would love you for you to experience the glorious discomfort. I would love you just to close your eyes for a second and I want you to think, Jesus loves me. This cup is the blood that was shed for me because Jesus loves me. It's not as abstract then. Christ died for sinners. Christ died for me. You can open your eyes again. Some of you have been awake for a very long time, so I don't want to draw that out too long. But Christ died for me. Christ died for you. And then I'm going to jump to 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which is also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In that statement, he's alluding to suffering, right? I have good reason to believe that none of Jesus' bones were broken, but his body was torn. There are aspects in which the passion of the Christ shows you what he went through, and there's other ways in which makeup and stage effects are never going to come close to seeing someone's flesh hanging off of their body where it's been torn by a whip or a cat of nine tails. I know the rumor about a cat of nine tails is that 40 lashes was supposed to kill you. At one point, they believed 40 lashes would kill you. So next time you're reading the account where Jesus suffers, I'd like you to keep that in mind. I don't know the last time you bumped your head. Okay, someone did it last night. The last time you bumped your head, I'd like you to consider that stunning sensation. Think about what it means to be beaten with rods. Because that isn't just hitting your head once. 
that's really something. And I'd like you to think about this is my body which is broken for me. And the next time that you're having a hard day and you're like, what has God ever done for me? Everything. Absolutely everything. If it wasn't enough just to be able to wake up on this side of the ground and to feel the sun shining and to have the opportunity to worship the God of creation, God loved us so much that he was willing to suffer and die in bodily form. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, if you don't follow me here, I don't mind. But as often as you drink from this cup, so there at supper, as often as you drink during your evening meal, maybe, as often as you drink during the day, as often as you drink great beverage, I'm not sure how specific to look at this, but I would challenge you, as often as you take a sip of water tomorrow, I would like you to think about Christ's bloodshed for you. Tell me that doesn't change how your day is going. Not that it's about us. I mean, in a big way, it is about us, right? Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. He shed his blood for us. To restore us to the Father. So that we can be in genuine relationship with God, not so that he can be the genie in the bottle that makes our dreams come true. So if I presented thinking about the shed blood of Jesus as a magic pill to make your day better. That's not what I mean. If your day gets better, praise God. If your day gets harder, praise God. Willis used to tell me mountaintops are nice, but nothing grows there. And I don't know who he heard that from first, but I like that saying. Mountaintops are nice, but nothing grows there. All the growth happens down in the valley where all that runoff goes. If you're really trying to get the most out of your garden, sorry, I'm gonna. If you're really trying to get the most out of your garden, if your plants aren't getting enough nutrients, what do you do to them? Well, you water them and you might fertilize them a little bit. which is not pleasant material. And when you fertilize a plant, you really just hit them with some unpleasantness. And if we're looking at our own growth, it's the same principle.
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. My friend Jeremy has a uh, podcast called The Holy Awkward Silence, which actually came from a practice he did when he was a pastor working with with, uh, college ministry. As he said, the importance of being still and the absolute awkwardness of it, which I was reminded of during Sunday school, actually. I wasn't planning to say this part. But he instituted five minutes of silence at the beginning of every gathering, and they used to call it the holy awkward silence because you have a room full of people not saying a thing. And I'm not going to say five minutes, but if you would take the next 30 seconds, well, once I say go, but I would like you to take about 30 seconds. And then there's three things that I think we should be thinking about. One of them would be what I've been talking about is remembrance. Remembering what Christ did for you. As I think about what Christ did for me, me specifically. The second thing I would like you to to think about is repentance. Is there anything hanging on to your life that you should be seeking to make right, that you should be seeking forgiveness for? And then the third thing, Yeah, there's a third thing. The third thing I'd like you to think about is resolve. And I know that that's carpet cleaner. That's not what I'm talking about either. I would like you to have some resolve in your mind. Because not only is it repenting just to go back and do the same thing or to think the same way or to live exactly the same. Again, that's not true repentance. Resolve is to walk towards Jesus. To face Jesus and to walk towards him. Right? It doesn't mean to be perfect. But have resolve to walk in the way that God calls you. To face Jesus. To keep your eyes on Jesus. Because I have the opportunity to make fences around the way I practice religion. The way that I follow Christ. And I know Rob did the example on the board there with the circles and the X's, and it wasn't tic-tac-toe, but it was. And there was a cross in the middle. And since he showed us that, and I can't describe it very well, but he was talking about center set and inset or something like that. And again, bunny. But when I think about that, the people who I have the most in common with in faith regardless of where they fall in community or wherever they fall in life experience or personal issues, the ones that are keeping their eyes on Jesus are actually the ones I have the most in common with. Because regardless of what you're dealing with, whatever your backstory is, whoever your parents were, whatever, those that have their eyes on Jesus 
those are the people that are actually focused on the same thing that I should be. It isn't necessarily the person sitting in the pew next to you, though I hope it is too. All around the world today, there's a lot of churches taking communion. The same communion. For the same reason. I would ask that you would do everything in your ability to make sure you're one of those people with their eyes on Jesus. Taking communion and unity for the reason that it was instituted. If you can do so without pain, would you stand with me? Father God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, that you would prepare our minds. Father, I pray that we would make much about you in the ceremonial act of taking communion. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to do something that you instructed. Thank you, and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If I could borrow Chad and an usher or two, preferably, if you guys would come up. We're actually going to pass out the elements today instead of having you come forward. There's no particular reason other than I bought sliced bread. That's it. That was the thought I put into that decision about breaking the bread and having you come up. I would love to make that more important of a decision, but I don't think the method matters so much as the So I'm going to put Chad on the spot to, oh goodness, nothing scarier than a preacher without a Bible. Goodness, we don't need that. If we could get Chad to say a blessing for the drink, the cup will go ahead and pass that out to you, and then either myself or Dylan will bless the bread and Pass that out to you. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your Just thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you. We just ask you to instill in our hearts.
did, it's okay. Father God, I pray that you would bless this bread, that you would help us to remember your body broken and torn for our benefit. Father, we bless you and we thank you. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took, also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Would you pray with me? Father God, again we thank you for the opportunity to take part in something that was instituted by you. Father God, I pray that you would make your presence real in our lives each and every day that we would remember you and the sacrifice that you made for us. 
each time that we drink or eat or breathe. Thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You have those little um, wooden spoon holders in the front of your pew in case you didn't notice them. <laughs> That's a um, kind of a callback. I always wondered how Emily Kerr got her boys to sit in a straight line. And one week there was the wooden spoon that she put in the communion cup holders on the front of the pew. I had no more questions. At this time, we will have our announcements and time of prayer and sharing, which will be led by Chad Keeler. <laughs>